first time I walked inside a gym, I was like 14 years old. And go, wow, I get it. I love this this subculture. I love you know the whole sport of bodybuilding. You know, I got when I was 14, I think I got Arnold's book <clears throat> for Christmas called The Education of a Bodybuilder. Man, I read that book so many so many times it fell to pieces, and I think it kind of programmed me or something. Mm-hmm. And then and then and I saw Arnold on TV as I said earlier when I was a kid, and I saw this guy. I didn't just see the muscles. Okay, I was fascinated about the bodybuilding, but I saw his confidence and his aura. And I'd never seen anyone like that. I was a kid, tubby kid in a little country town, you know, where everyone said, oh, you've got to get a job, you've got to get married, you've got to go to the university, you've got to get a house, 3.3 kids and happily ever after. I'm like, oh, that sucks. I want to go to California. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Running From Comfort. This is episode nine, and today our guest is Tony Doherty. Now, I'll let him introduce himself as we begin the first part of this interview talking about what he does. And we also dive a little bit into his story, but something I want to point out about his story while I have you now is Tony is somebody who from a very young age realized what he wanted to do, realized that it was outside of the norm, but just said, eh, I'm going to go for it. And he always kept his dream alive. He always did whatever he had to do to keep his dream alive. And you're going to hear him talk about that. In the second part of the interview, we talk about things such as how social media is affecting the culture and really just shaking up the world in general, as well as that Tony then goes into a bit of a dive where he really starts sharing some really good wisdom and some life advice. So you can get the notepad out for this part of the interview because there's a lot to take away. But this is to be expected as if you are following Tony on Instagram, which if you're not, you should be, he does his real talk where he spits wisdom on a day-to-day basis and answering people's questions about life and success and entrepreneurship and a whole manner of things. So I hope you guys really enjoyed this one. And if you do, make sure you take a screenshot of you listening on your phone and upload it to your Instagram story and tag out at Tony Doherty Oz. Let him know you're listening and tag me out as well at Galloway's underscore take or at running from comfort and finally if you enjoy then please do me this one favor and give this show a rating and a review on whatever platform you listen to this on and if you want to watch the full video interview that should be live by the day after this has been released on my youtube channel galloway's take so check out the youtube channel if you want to see the video footage of this podcast all right guys i hope you all enjoy Tony, welcome to the show. Oh, is that good to be here, man? Good to have you on. So, Thanks for coming in. For somebody who hasn't uh, doesn't know you, would you be able to briefly explain like what you do, who you are? Well, it's funny because I did a podcast yesterday with someone. And I said, "What do you say when somebody says, what do you do?'" I go, oh, "I don't know. Normally, I just go, oh. <laughs> oh gosh.' Um, uh, look, I guess um, the biggest part of what I do is I'm a gym owner." I founded and started a brand called Doherty's Gym, which is, um, we have gyms in uh, all over Melbourne and in Perth, and we're looking at a global model to take on the world because we present something we call a home away from home. So as you know, we're, we're people just come and hang out here. So it's so much more than just a gym or a fitness center. And we've kind of got a niche um, in that we're not, we're not for everyone. Uh, we're, we're kind of the place and people think it's a hardcore gym it's certainly not that um certainly we have hardcore members and hardcore equipment but it's more that we're open all the time we haven't shut here in 21 years i mean seven days a week 24 hours a day every day of the year and it's a place that people can come and congregate and hang out and share ideas and not have that whole smarmy 
fitness industry sort of wank that goes with it. So when you come in, for example, someone wants to have a look around the gym, we go, hey, go take a look, take your time, try it out. Um, rather than say, oh, we'll get a sales consultant or a membership <laughs> consultant and, and some kid trots out in school shoes and a body shirt. That's not us. That was me one day. <laughs> I used to work at a gym where I was that person. <laughs> yeah, well, this is, this is the way that the whole industry works and we don't. So we've got a kind of point of difference and a niche, if you like. And then the other part of, the, of that is that we've got a great uh, global brand with our clothing, with Delty's Gym, mm. Delty'sGym.com, and a lot of the elite athletes around the world, not just in bodybuilding, but all sorts of sports, from basketball to pro wrestling and boxing and MMA, wear our clothes. Therefore, um, it's very well marketed globally, and we're just starting a, an arm of that called Delty's Gym USA in mm. the clothing department, which is just being launched as we speak. So that's one part of what I do. Um, I also promote uh, bodybuilding, so I pretty much own and operate the Pro League in Australia. Um, I'm the, I guess there's a title for it, Executive Director or something. So that's the IFBB Pro League. Um, our headquarters are in Pittsburgh in, in, in the USA, and uh, I've been doing that for a long, long time, uh, 25 plus years. Um, I've been running Pro Bodybuilding Australia for 20 years. And I started an expo called FitX, which was like the first sport and fitness expo of its kind in Australia and then that became the Arnold Classic so in mm. 2015 uh, did the first Arnold Classic in Australia brought Arnold Schwarzenegger out here for the first time in an expo sense um, became his business partner and then life changed a lot so the last mm. five years I've been on the road with Arnold and the team uh, five six seven sometimes eight times a year going all over the globe promoting fitness our fitness crusade as he calls it and doing expos in every single continent and then um, doing a lot more MC work all over the world. I've MC'd three Arnold Classics this year in Columbus, Ohio, Melbourne, Australia, and Sao Paulo in Brazil. Just got back from Africa a week ago. Um, it doesn't stop. <laughs> and then on top of that, I've got a, uh, a kind of public speaking business, if you like, called Relentless Momentum, where I do uh, inspirational kind of talks and tell my life story and empower people to be better at what they do and to show people a few shortcuts and shortcuts is probably the wrong word but a few tricks of the traders and some street smarts they're going to need out there in the big big bad world um like real talk what you do on instagram as well that's that's part of it that's part of the psychology of what i do so yeah i have a big social media presence as well um with all my different things i've got about 100 staff i try and feed every week Mm. and um you know, big task, and then a, a global family that I, I travel with. So that, that's kind of a. It's, in fact, it sounds long. But that's kind of a short summary of what I do because there's other <laughs> stuff but that, that, that'll, that'll give people an idea. Yes. <laughs> so, and in terms of that, so bringing the Arnold down to Australia, you note that as one of your biggest like accomplishments. And of course, you would have. You, did you grow up idolizing Arnold? I Absolutely. guess. Yeah, he was my idol. It's the reason I got into weight training is because I saw Arnold on TV when I was a kid, and I'm like, oh, I want to be like him. Mm. Now that you travel the world with Arnold, your business partners with him, your friends, like that's crazy. Like, could you have even imagined that when you were younger or when you were starting well, out? Of, I, I think part of me did imagine that, and that's how it happened. I don't think things happened by accident. I think I kind of worked towards that for a long, long time. And I've always thought you've just got to take your opportunities when they come, but you've also got to be ready. So when an opportunity comes your way, you've got to have done your homework. So, well, this is what I wish for. I better make sure I'm ready. So when this came about, I was well and truly ready, fine-tuned and and, 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 up, and up and about. But um, yeah, part of me, it's like a dream come true. Part of me, sometimes I've got to pinch myself and then other times it's like, oh, no, that was kind of what I wanted to do. Yeah, and when you say you had to get yourself ready, like what 
what were some of the steps involved in bringing the Arnold down here? Oh, man, we could talk for hours. I mean, it's a whole strategy of, 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 of marketing and positioning and, and getting the right people in the right place by doing the right things so that when Arnold started to ask people in my industry, outside of my industry, through media and publicists and everything else, that only one name would ever come up with Australia, and that was me. So I positioned myself so that I was that guy. And then, uh, you know, then when I got the call from Arnold's office to say, come over and meet, then I had to have all my facts and figures and everything right to go. So they go, this is the guy. We've got the right one. It's like, you know, I've not been uh, in a job interview sense, but I do interview people for positions in my world. And occasionally someone will walk in and I'll say to my chief of staff and my other management team, cancel all the other interviews. We just found the right person. They go, oh, you can't do that. I go, we have to do that because that is that person ticks all the right boxes. No way anyone's going to interview better than that. So I wanted to be that guy. So mm. that's, that's how it happened. That's a very, yeah. And I guess part of all that is it's a lot of the hard work that you're putting in leading up to that because one of the things you're always talking about too is like just working hard. I think that's part of your talks, right? That's momentum. Is that? Yeah, it's got to work your ass off. I mean, everyone's got the ability to outwork everyone else and to outsmart, to outplay, but mostly to outlast. Because everyone says, oh, I can work my ass off. I go, yeah, but how long can you do that for? How long can you go without pay? How long can you be hungry? How long can you just take take the hits that life throws at you and outlast everyone else? And that's sort of been my, I guess, greatest ability is one, I don't quit, and two, I can outlast. Mm. And I know we don't have a lot of time, so I won't get you to go deeply into your story, but um, would you be able to just briefly talk about some of those earlier struggles? I know at some point you used to sleep in your gym was, yeah. That was this gym here, wasn't it? No, it wasn't no. this one. It was around the corner. So the first Doherty's opened in, in Brunswick, just around the corner in Union Street. Then we outgrew that and came here. Then here, the building that you know, the front part, I took that at first. And where the leg room is now, I rented that out to a welder because I couldn't afford it. And then where the boxing room is, I rented that bit out. Then I took them back slowly. And then I waited 11 years for this building room now to come up. So it just keeps growing. Um, but back in Union Street, yeah. And it wasn't even um, struggles. It was just what I had to do. I, mean, I never looked at it like that. I always just thought, this is what I have to do and I'm going to do whatever it takes and nothing or nothing in the world will stop me from keeping these doors open. So in the early days, yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I moved from Bendigo in country Victoria with a, a bunch of broken equipment, this big dream, um, you know, big borrowed, stole, didn't steal, but, you know, like did whatever I could just to get the deposit for the first month's rent. Um, the power got cut off every second month, the phone every other month. It was just non-stop. So I had three possessions in the world, a, a rice cooker, a vertical grill, and a couch. So what I'd do is uh, in the morning, I'd wake up, because we'd open at six back then. So I'd wake up, it's in 1994. Um, I'd wake up at five, take a shower, and I'd walk up to Sydney Road, get a coffee from McDonald's and a newspaper from next door, and then walk back, because by then there'd be people out the front waiting for us to open, and say, hey, good morning, everyone, as if I came from somewhere, because I didn't mm. need to say, oh, poor me, I'm living at the gym, or I'm homeless, or whatever else. I didn't look at it like that. I'm like, you know, all I've got left right now is my dignity. Mm. So I don't really have to share that with everyone. I've already got nothing. And I didn't even have a suitcase. I had a, a duffel bag and a garbage bag with my clothes in it. And I'd sleep there night after night, and then I'd wait till I'd do all the hours through till nine or 10 at night, whenever we closed. Then I'd close the doors and shut the big gate at the front. Good night, everyone. And of course, all the guys be out the front telling all their stories, their you know, mm. hero kind of stories. I'd go hide behind a tree and wait for everybody to leave. Then I'd let myself back in, repeat, 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 repeat. You know, And I remember I didn't take a wage that year. I didn't take a wage the next year. I didn't take a wage the next year at all. 
And by then I had some staff, so I'd make sure everyone else got paid, I'd make sure the power didn't get cut off, I'd make sure the rent was paid, but I didn't get paid. So mm. I had to hustle a lot in those years and do whatever it took, you know, from from bouncing and debt collection and, and personal training and coaching and just anything, just to eat. Yeah, just structured the way I wanted it to be. Um, and there was no social media there, so it wasn't like, you know, people would have to go on Instagram and go, oh, poor me, you know, well, the hustle me. never stops or, you know, the grind continues. Fuck that, I just... <laughs> No time for that stuff, so I just just did what I had to do. Obviously, it comes from your never quit attitude. You know your relentless attitude. Did you always have that, or was there a point where that sort of developed for you? Always had it. You know, always wanted to do things my way. I remember when I was a kid at school, and they <clears throat> they'd have these careers classes. You know, and they'd roll out all these things. So you can be a banker, and you can be a lawyer, and you can be a doctor or a corporate person, or you can do economics and all this sort of stuff. I'm like. Uh, not for me. And they go, but you're a smart kid. And I was a really smart kid. I did school easy, but I, I didn't do homework. I didn't care about exams. I didn't want to go to university. I just wanted to go into the real world. And I knew that. I think it was just I didn't buy the dream they were selling. Because to me, it was like, so you've got to go do all this, you know, study, be like everyone else, and then sit in a, in a little office with a fluorescent light and take shit from people. Yeah, no, you know, if I did law, then I'd like to be like a, a high-end criminal lawyer where I argue because I you yeah. know, love being factual and arguing and you know understanding people. But that would be so long in the making and I didn't have a passion for it. I thought, I've got to find something that I'm passionate about that makes me want to get out of bed every day and do what I want to do. And uh, so I always had this, this uh, vision, I guess, um, to, to work out what it was I wanted. And, and luckily for me, you know, I fell in love with bodybuilding and weights and gyms and the whole culture when I was very young. So uh, I, I thought, you know, that's what I'm going to come back to. I'll just find a way. So then when I first left school, I left home when I was 17. We did all kinds of odd jobs, you know, that stuff I've never even put in my story. But, you know, I worked on prawn trawlers. I worked on main roads departments. I worked on ships. I worked on, you know, all sorts of stuff. Um, <clears throat> just traveling farms and all sorts of shit. Just biding my time, to, I guess, to grow up enough and come back and attack life the way I want to attack it. So... Um, I started working for myself when I was, I guess, 20, 21, and um, have ever since. So your whole attitude this whole time has just been this, you'll do whatever it takes, you'll work whatever job it takes. Yeah. And when did you decide you were going to become a gym owner? Well, when I was like, first I walked inside a gym, I was like 14 years old. And go, wow, I get it. I love this, this subculture. I love, you know, the whole sport of bodybuilding. You know, I've got... When I was 14, I think I got Arnold's book <clears throat> for Christmas called The Education of a Bodybuilder. Man, I read that book so many, so many times it fell to pieces. And I think it kind of programmed me or something. Mm-hmm. And then and then and I saw Arnold on TV, as I said earlier, when I was a kid, and I saw this guy, I didn't just see the muscles. Okay, I was fascinated about the bodybuilding, but I saw his confidence and his aura. And I'd never mm-hmm. seen anyone like that. I was a kid, tubby kid in a little country town. You know, where everyone said, oh, you've got to get a job, you've got to get married, you've got to go to university, you've got to get a house, 3.3 kids and happily ever after. I'm like, oh, that sucks. I want to go to California. <laughs> you know, I want to see the world. I always had a fascination with travel. I was really fortunate that my my mum and dad travelled a lot, still do, you know, and they always said to me from when I was really young, you know, like nine or ten, I remember they went to Singapore, which nobody did back then. You know, it was so expensive to fly and dad worked his ass off. <clears throat> I remember we come back and they told us about the temples and the stairs and of course there was no digital photography over there so people had to be storytellers. I remember my mum and dad come back and tell me these amazing stories of what was out there in the world. So I became fascinated with that. So then I think I was planning to see with myself that I wanted to find a job and a career which 
would allow me to see the world and to travel. So many years later, after I mean, I always travelled, but now it's it's almost like a full time gig, and then I get to see some amazing places. So we make a point when I travel with my business partner Bob Lorimer, whose father started the whole Arnold thing with Arnold, Jim Lorimer. Bob and I have become really best friends, and uh, you know we travel so much. We always say we said well years ago, we're going to go all this way instead of just seeing you know the venue, the hotel, and the airport. Let's just add a few days on every time we go, and we'll go somewhere we've never been. So, for example, mm. if we're in Hong Kong, one time we went to um, Taiwan, and we're in uh, uh, Barcelona, we went to Portugal. You know, another time we're in you know, somewhere in Europe, we went to Prague. You know, and then when we're in Africa, we'll go. Okay, we've done the show in South Africa. Let's go to Zimbabwe or Mozambique or somewhere like that. Mm. And then if we're in Brazil, let's go to um, um, to one year we went to Aguaso Falls on the Argentinian border. Next year we're going to do a tour in the Amazon River. So we're always yeah, planning well. to do these incredible things, which is sometimes just an add-on, sometimes it's just a few days. But for me, yeah, it's just cool as hell. So that's that's a great part about traveling. It's an amazing opportunity as well, the fact you've been able to create that path yourself. You get to travel and, you know, pushing yourself and seeing all these new things. Now, I'm going to break the real talk number one rule, which is I know you don't have favorites, but I do just want to ask you, is there a favorite place you have to travel or somewhere where when you return it's like almost like a second home um look all my life um santa monica in california santa monica and venice is kind of where i developed the dream to do doherty's gym like i went there and i saw gold's gym in in the 90s for the first time and it was like the mecca of bodybuilding i'm going i'm going to take that even further i'm just going to do it in melbourne and create a brand not based on that but inspired by that so that was always one of my favorites and in fact, uh, I went every year to California for like 21 years or something, and I love the place. But it's probably not my favorite now that I've seen the rest of the world. Yeah. <clears throat> so if I had a favorite now, probably out of all the Arnolds and all the people and the places I go, probably Brazil. Brazil. Yeah, I love South America, and I've been to um, you know, Chile and Colombia and Cuba and lots and lots and lots of places, and, and I really, really dig South America. Um, I think part of that being that we don't learn about it here. Like in history, when you're at school here, you learn about Europe and you learn about the wars and you learn about the US and all this sort of thing. You don't really know much about South America. So for me, mm. it was this whole new world that I didn't understand the culture and the population base of, you know, third of the world's people. I don't know the number, but a lot yeah. of people live down there, you know, and and the people are wonderful and the, the th like the theatre of life down there and the music and the cocktails and the... The spirit of the people I, I, I absolutely love. So I'd have to say that it'd be right up there at the moment. Yeah. No change. It's a whole new world out there. And I want to just take it back just a little bit because you brought up Gold's Gym. I remember the first time I walked into Doherty's here in Brunswick, I was gobsmacked. I actually, I don't know how, must have been sleeping under a rock. I hadn't really heard of the Doherty's. I'd seen a few of the jerseys around. First time I walked in here, like the moment I had, it was almost just like this, whoa. Mm. I couldn't imagine training in another gym now. Honestly, I'm probably going to live the rest of my life in Brunswick now just so I could continue to well, train. Thanks. You know, that's that. It's good that you get it. But I've had so many people, you know, have actually moved to the suburb or bought houses in the next street just because of this gym. I'm like, wow, we must be doing something right, you know. <laughs> um, but I, I get that. I do. Yeah. Um, and if it's cool with you, um, I just want to do a little film tour just at the gym later when we're done with this interview. Yeah. Is that, am I cool to do film it? Do you want? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I want to bring people inside. Cause I remember the first time I walked in here too, one of the first things was like, it's like gold. It's like all the equipment's like kind of old, you know, a little bit, not like rusty, but you know what I mean? It's like, well, you, you know what is, it's like that in that there's some old stuff and some really new state of the art stuff, but some machines have never been, um, better. 
Like I've got a, a Nautilus leg uh, extension, I think from the 80s. I don't think there's been a better leg extension that's been made. So we keep that, even though it looks like something out of a dinosaur park, you know. But then I've got the latest state-of-the-art stuff that, you know, Watson Gym Equipment are making this strength stuff out of London, which to me is just cutting edge. I've got a bunch of their stuff. And then I've got different brands. So I'm not locked into Hammer Strength. And I'm not locked into Nautilus. I'm not locked into Cybex. But I pick the best of each of their ranges mm. and put it here. And the funny thing is, oh, you know, you must be... You must be uh, happy. Yeah, I'm happy, but I'm never satisfied. In fact, let me warn you, this place isn't even close to being finished. You know, it's been like 20-something years we've been in this building. 20 years we've been in this building. 21, I think. And um, I'm still ordering equipment. I've got all new cardio stuff coming. I've got 12 new machines coming for the gym. And I'm looking for what I'm going to do after that. So it never ends. Yeah. We'll never stop. And how important is that um, when you say to be never satisfied? Do you think that's important? I don't think about it. I just, you know... <laughs> I, I, only when I do things like this or when I you know, get my questions and people ask me about how I think, do I then analyse my thought process? Because I'm very much in the moment. So I don't <laughs> have, uh, I'm not really retrospectively thinking about, oh, what was I thinking when I did that? Unless I really screw something up and then I want to learn from it. But for the most part, um, I just keep moving forward and try and live in the moment. Don't kind of analyse all that too much. Yeah, it's just about taking action. So... Well, it's one of the things, you know, I think that there's three things um, that you need if you're going to go forward in life and you're going to achieve something outside of the norm. That's passion, vision and action. Action being the third one. First one being passion means that you got to find something you love doing, man. Something that wakes you up in the morning, gets you out of bed, something that keeps you awake at night because you can't sleep because you're so excited about tomorrow. That's passion. You know, when you, when you, you, just, oh, you, just, you just love something you do and that's a gym to me hmm. and other stuff I do, but that's passion. Vision means you've got to be realistic. So you can't, for example, say, I love cars. I'm going to invent the world's newest car. Mm. Really? Okay, well, resources, the fact it's already been invented, the kind of round wheel works. You're going to reinvent the wheel, there's an old saying. So I always say your vision's got to be realistic. You've got to say, well, okay, I can have this passion for this thing, but how am I going to survive the hard times and eventually make a living out of it so that, you know, either that or you can have a passion for something which could be your hobby. And you say, you know what? I can eat shit all day long in a job that I don't like. I can eat dirt because then I get to do my hobby at night. It might be NASCAR, racing, bodybuilding, whatever. But if you can, I think, um, having success in life is sometimes finding what you love doing and then working out how to make a living out of it. So your passion being, your, your, you know, your passion for something, your vision being how are you going to do it and how long is it going to take and can it work? And then the third one's action. That means don't put it off, don't say, well, I'll start in January. I'm like, start today. Find some tiny little thing you can do, read, maneuver, study, or understand so that you're one step closer to your dream. Mm. So passion, vision, action. Yeah. And that's something that I've been trying to sort of push with this podcast. It's something I've been learning. I think my biggest weakness has always been thinking about something too much and not just taking action. So now... The way I counter that is the second I get an idea, even if it makes me nervous or something, I'm like, right, I'm just going to do it. I just have to go after it. Well, imagine starting up this podcast. You, know, you could have talked yourself out of it just as easy. I've had a couple of episodes I almost talked myself out of because I thought, oh, I wasn't that great of an interviewer. But I was like, no, I've got to, I've recorded it. I've got to put it up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know, man. I, you know, I'll do my real talk sometimes or I'll do a seminar or something. Oh, that was shit. And then I'll get 
amazing feedback. Like, That's the best thing you've ever done. I'm like, oh, really? Sure, I wasn't even going to post that. So you just never know. You never know. I suppose part of that is we're always our harshest critics at the end of the day. So we're always not going to be satisfied. Yeah, with our I, I think it goes back to what you said earlier, man. It's just that most people overthink shit. And most people just overthink and overthink and overthink. And I mean, you've got to be realistic. But at the same time, you know, you can't overthink stuff. And, and I think... And I always said to people to learn to live in the moment because that's where it's all at. Mm. Because you can't change anything you did yesterday, even if you screwed it up, even if you weren't a great person or you did something you regret. There's no way you can go back in time and change anything that happened yesterday, good, bad, or indifferent. And tomorrow, well, who knows what's going to happen? You know, we see all sorts of mayhem in the world and natural disasters. And you know, I'm not a fatalist, but I always think you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know this could be everybody's last day. And just in case. What do you got left? If you can't change yesterday and you can't um, uh, affect tomorrow, what have you got now? You got today. Mm. So I've always had this thing where I just, today's the day, today's the day. So I just think, you know, you just live every day like it's your last one and just attack it because uh, that, you get a lot more done. Yeah, no, 100%. And I mean, that's something else that I'm really trying to focus on too at the moment is because a lot of people have this mindset, you know, I achieved this goal, I'm going to be happy. If I get to this point in life, I'm going to be happy. But the truth is you have to be like enjoying every day because like you said, every, each day could be your last if you're not enjoying. Well, it's not only that. It's a false hope that you think someone, something's going to make you happy. And I see it a lot in my industry with people competing. I think well, when I get the tan on and get my body fat to under 10% and strut around in a bikini or board shorts or posing trunks, I'll be happy. Mm. When everybody claps and cheers and I get a first place award, I'll be happy. I'm like, no, you won't, because that'll last like five minutes and you'll be unhappy again. So What's the next thing? Learn. No, no, it's not even that. It's, it's learn to enjoy the process, to enjoy the hardships, to enjoy the diet, to enjoy the training, to enjoy the pain. And then all of a sudden it's not so empty. So a lot of people, and I talk about this in my seminars, a lot of people think I'll be happy when I've got the house on the hill, 2.2 million in the bank, a Bugatti Veyron or a hold you to whatever whatever your thing is you think, oh, when I do that I'll be happy or when I've got the right girlfriend or boyfriend or partner or whatever then I'll be happy no you won't um, you've got to learn to enjoy the process and to enjoy the journey I think that's probably the wisest thing I can impact on the most. enjoy the journey whatever it is you're doing learn to enjoy it because you know what that's where it's at and then when you do achieve the goal that you've had in mind it is enjoyable and it is mm. satisfying but it won't make you happy can't make nobody happy and nobody can just be happy all the time and this is the other thing i say all the time that motivation's fake mm. so i'm going to get fit i just haven't been motivated lately i'm like well if you're going to wait and just do shit on the days that you're motivated then you fail you lose at life because all of us me included have days where you're just not motivated i was having one today but i'm like i've got to list this long of things i have to do and if i don't tick them off then I'm going to go home agitated. That's way worse than not being motivated. Mm. But then, you know, it's like a workout. And this is where, you know, anyone that's done sport or bodybuilding, you know, Arnold always says this, the, the lessons he learned in bodybuilding about discipline and getting back up and dealing with pain have helped him so much in life. And it's, it's that. And I always just think with a workout, it's so easy to talk, talk yourself out of it and make mm -hmm. excuses. It's cold, it's hot, I'm tired, I'm sore, I didn't get enough sleep, blah, blah, blah. But once you start, you never regret it. And 10 minutes into it, you are motivated. You just thought you weren't or you just thought about it too much or overthought it. Mm. For the most part, flips the switch with exercise, sometimes. So it's just, just get started, man. It's just like take your first step, do your next 10, and before you know it, you'll be into the rhythm of it and you'll get through it and you never regret it. So yeah. I think that applies to life. Yeah, it does.
And you set the standard here too. You you always, without fail, always on that treadmill every morning. Well, not always on the treadmill, but I always exercise every morning. Mm. Lately, you may have seen me on the treadmill, but sometimes I walk around the park, do my real talk. Sometimes I take a, go cycling. Sometimes, like this morning, I didn't do treadmill at all. I just did weights for an hour. <clears throat> so, I, you know, I don't sort of have a... a, um, a sorry, I don't right. have a... Um, a, a, a schedule or anything. it's just I have to work out every morning no matter where I am or where I'm traveling or what I'm doing I try and work out every morning that I can you know and sometimes circumstances will mix it up but I probably average six days a week anyway as a gym owner do you how do you feel um, the rise of social media or smartphones has impacted gym culture at all oh as a gym owner um, just as a human, I think it's an easier way to answer it. I think mm. it's, it, social media has completely impacted the world. I mean, it's, it's the new media. Like, for example, I don't really read the newspaper anymore. I read the newspaper my whole life. Now I have a tab open on my browser for the local news to see what's going on. But I read most things I'm going to read on Instagram or on Facebook. And I think your generation and those younger, even more so. Mm. Like my kids don't watch TV. They watch YouTube. You know, they don't... Um, most people, they don't even use text messaging. They use Snapchat or they use um, uh, DMs on Insta or yeah. uh, Messenger or whatever. It's just, that's the world. And it's changed so fast. I mean, I've seen it from when no one even knew what the internet was to this and then to apps and social interaction. And people use, you know, this is how they meet. This is how they connect. This is how they get to know each other. But what it's taken away from is the art of conversation. I believe yeah. a lot of people can't, don't have people skills and can't put two words together because they're so good at texting. And I've had people in my organisation who said, well, just give so-and-so a call. And they text. They're going, no, no, call. And they look at me like I'm speaking another mm. language. You know, So I think it's impacted every industry, certainly the fitness industry and the gym industry and all that sort of thing. Um, but I think whatever you're into, social medias, you know, if you're into 10-pin bowling, I'm sure they're all on Instagram or whatever, promoting what they do in their sport and getting followers and likes and all this kind of stuff. So I think um, we're in a big sort of shake-up um, of social culture at the moment. And we go back three generations, two generations. What was the centre of the universe? What was people, how did they meet? Church. Mm, yeah. Churches weren't about always religion. You know, I grew up in a country town where everyone went to a kind of Catholic school and this sort of thing. And Sunday, everyone on Saturday night, Sunday, everyone would go to the church. Now, it didn't mean everybody was religious. I mean, that was the only social interaction they had. That's how they made friends and met people and, you know, maybe met their spouse or had their kids meet other kids or whatever. It was all through the schools and kind of church culture. And those things are going out of business real fast. One, they've had bad publicity. Two, they've made a lot of mistakes and, and people just don't buy into it because they can do more research online. But two, there's no such thing as a, a local community because people have communities on their phone where you might be into something dark, mysterious, weird elite or otherwise and you can find like-minded people all over the world that can connect in a group or on a page or whatever and that's your community they're the people you relate to yeah so you think about you're a lonely kid in a country town your escapism is not television your escapism is not a social club or scouts or something of the past it's your phone right so therefore communities are now online yeah. And this has only happened in a couple of generations. Mm. So you think about what's it going to be like in another generation. It's going to be crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. So I embrace all of that. I, I, I actually enjoy it. I love, um, uh, you know, the, the pop and social kind of culture of the whole thing. And uh, 
I'm an, I'm an observer and a people watcher, so I just take it all in. I'm not offended by it. I don't have, I don't judge it. It just is what it is. So I just try and learn it and embrace it. And, um, you know, I, I try and stay in front of the curves of what's happening. I, I watch very closely what the trends are and uh, just try and work with it. Yeah, uh, definitely. Would you say it's had a much of an impact on your brand as well, being able to have Absolutely. all that extra reach? I think it's had an impact on every brand if you know how to use it. Mm. Absolutely. Like we use social media for marketing whether it's our expos or my talks or a, a new item that's about to drop in our merch range or whatever, everything's online, man, yeah. It's not like you're gonna go take an ad in the paper or you know, <laughs> something like that. It's just, everything's changed. So I absolutely embrace it and use it, yes. Yeah, 100%. Um, but I suppose, do you think, I think what I see out of social media though, which I think has been very impactful is the ability for people to sort of self-promote. Now you've got people in industries where maybe you had to be the top of the elite level to sort of succeed. But I think, I don't know, in, in my opinion, and this is not a very well researched opinion, I think it might've opened up the world of bodybuilding in the fitness industry a bit more. I think it's absolutely exploded on social media. No, but that's what I'm trying to say. It's, it's every industry. Mm. It's not just that. It's every single industry is exploded on social media because of that. That's just how it is. Yeah. But the, well, I suppose what I was trying to ask as a gym owner, though, that's a very good answer, by the way. I really like that response. But um, in terms of a gym owner, um, do you see too much of just people taking too many selfies or not working out because they're too like involved on their phone, like the, maybe more the negative sides of it? or uh, people ask me this all the time, you know, what do you think about people on their phone when they're trying? I'm, I'm saying, I don't give a shit. It's just like, do what you want to do. Mm. I'm worried about me and how I operate. You know, if that makes someone, you know, helps them get through the day, that's fine. I, th I, th I think, you know, um, I come from an old school, kind of hardcore background. So I think people do spend too much time on their phones when they really analyze it. But I don't find it offensive. I'm just kind of like, just as long as they're respectful to their surroundings. So for example, if someone's on a bench playing on their phone, someone's waiting to use that bench, you know, and they don't know they're there because the headphones are on, well, I think that's kind of rude. So I think you've got to be socially uh, aware. But, you know, I find something when I'm driving. It drives me nuts if people step out in front of you with headphones on. They don't mm -hmm. hear cars coming. They don't hear things. They don't have anything. Or you're in a hurry and someone stops in front of you to text. It's like, oh, shit. But it's just part of it, man. It's just, I don't know. Yeah. Um, people are going to do what they're going to do. I catch myself out on it. I like to have short rests, you know, be really focused when I'm doing my workouts, but I'll catch myself two, three minutes on the phone without doing a set. I'm like, oh shit, like what am I doing? Yeah, best thing to do is leave your phone in your bag. If I was training for something, I was at a really kind of elite level of what I was doing at any one time, I wouldn't open my phone when I trained. You know, I'd do a playlist before. Because that's the other thing, you can go to change a song and then you see a message pop up. Yeah, let me just check that real quick. Yeah, Instagram, yeah, yeah. you so, must have heaps of Instagram notifications on your phone as well. I don't have notifications come up because it drives me mental. Mm, yeah, so, um, I, I turned all that shit off otherwise. That way, and I find that helps me with my time management. Because then, okay, I've got 10 minutes to spare, let me go and check my messages. Like now. Right. So my last couple of questions, real talk. When did you, how long ago did you start real talk and why? I don't know. You'd have to go back and check, honestly. It's just, I, I don't know. It's just evolved. It didn't mm. really start it. I've always just done it. I think it's just more with the social media now, people get more um, access to me and my thoughts and this and that. And the fact that I saw that it was impacting people, I kind of formalized a little bit, made it a little bit more regular. But for the most part, I've always tried to inspire and help and be an unreasonable, um, infectious light for people.
Mm. No, that's really good. That's one of the things um, that I really enjoyed, like your Real Talk content. And to appreciate the fact you've got somebody like you as well who's out there it's almost daily, you know, just there to try and motivate people. I think that's incredible. So thank you for that. No and um, I suppose the other thing I wanted to sort of ask you was, if you could go back to young Tony, if you could tell him something, any piece of advice, what would you tell young Tony? Say, 25-year-old Tony, that's my age. Oh, just say, stick at it, man. Everything's going to be okay, you know? Don't overthink shit. Just keep working, keep believing in yourself and just just know that everything's going to be okay. In fact, I posted a piece, I'll find it and send it to you, but on my Insta, and I get, whenever I do my question, so what advice would you give your young self? Well, I've actually printed a whole article of what I would tell my young self and I would like to share it with you. Okay. But I can't memorize it off by heart right now. <laughs> That's okay. I'll make sure I get that one out there in the show notes for yeah, everybody. Do, yeah. And finally, do you believe everybody can make it if they put the work in? Um, it's impossible to answer because it's not up to me. It mm. doesn't matter what I believe or whatever else. I don't think everybody can make it because some people are imbeciles. Mm. Some people don't have what it takes. So if you're saying if somebody's got what it takes, well, of course. But has everybody got what it takes? No. Some people are lazy, inherently um, rude uh, or don't want to help other people or they're selfish or whatever and all these things will impact on your ability to go forward so too many people focus on the short term game instead of the long game just being good human and I think to answer your question it's, that's what makes it impossible for people to go forward because they don't have what it takes as far as empathy and you know, the, the actual stuff to me that matters yeah okay alright well thank you very much Tony this cool. has been good luck with everything, been a great man. And, interview uh, um, sorry, we've got to rush it a little bit today, but let's do it again sometime. And to all the uh, viewers and listeners out there, good luck, enjoy, and uh, keep punching. All right. Oh, where can Thanks, we find man. you? What's Shout Tony, out your Instagram here. You can put it up there. At Tony Doherty Oz. All right, people. Thank you, man. That's a wrap. Hey, what are you still doing here? The podcast's over. You made it to the very end. Oh, well done. That must mean you enjoyed today's show, so do us this favor. Go give us a rating and review on whatever platform you have listened to this on, and don't forget to subscribe for future content. All right, guys, I'm out of here. Thank you for listening.